0: I want to begin today with a question. And that question is this, what movie have you watched the most times? Now I'm asking for your favorite movie and I'm not asking you to rank all your movies you've ever seen, but I want you to think about what is the movie that you have watched the most times? Many of us have one movie that we've seen over and over and over way more than any other. And, and for me, I've had more time to answer this question than you have, but if you've got one in mind, I'd encourage you to put it in the chat this morning on YouTube or our website, put the movie name in the chat. For me, if I was you know, putting it in the chat, what I would put in is one of these two movies, either The Sandlot or Top Gun. Now you can tell from these kind of the era that I grew up in. I played baseball as a kid all growing up. And during that time, I was a little bit like Scotty in that movie. I didn't have the terrible hat, But I loved playing baseball, and uh, that was my life every day if I could. I went to college, though, and while I was in college, it seemed like every single day Top Gun was on some network. And so I would come home from class, be walking down the hallway in my dorm, and end up in somebody's room. And so I think I've watched clips, long sections, 20, 30, 40 minutes of Top Gun, well over 100 times. I think I've seen the whole movie in its entirety 20 or 30 times. I've seen it a lot. Now, one of the friends I made during that season, he had a different favorite movie that he had seen more than any other. And it was this one, The Shawshank Redemption. It's one of the most beloved films of all times. And for a long time, it was the highest rated movie on IMDb, the Internet Movie Database. It's a movie that's won tons of awards. Uh, it stars uh, Morgan Freeman, Tony Robbins. And in that movie, uh, there's a character played by Morgan Freeman. This movie's set uh, in prison. And uh, it, the character's name is Red. And he says something really, really important that is going to set up everywhere we go in this series. These are Red's words. Red said, these walls are funny. First you hate them. And then you get used to them. Enough time passes and you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. And I don't think a lot of us have been institutionalized in prison, but maybe you can relate to this experience where you were in an environment and for a season you were uncomfortable there. You didn't want to be there. You hated being there. But over time... You got used to it. Maybe at a certain point, you began to feel so comfortable in that environment, you depended on it and you couldn't imagine not having it. That, friends, is what we're gonna talk about in the series we're beginning today. And if you've got a copy of the handout from our website, you'll wanna take notes because here's our big idea. We were made to live in freedom but we've settled for Egypt instead. I believe that you were made to live in freedom, but so many of us have settled for Egypt instead. And our hope and prayer is, as we start this series today, that over the next six weeks, you might discover what that Egypt is and find freedom. Because the title of the series we're beginning today is called Leaving Egypt. The subtitle, if you can read it there, says Finding Freedom on the Road to Easter. Over the next six Sundays, we're gonna be in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We'll be looking at the story of the people of Israel who left captivity in Egypt and found freedom. And as we journey from today to Easter, which is just only six weeks away, we're gonna discover how God has designed and created and intended for us to live in freedom as well. Now, if you're new to Cornerstone, we have some traditions around here. We mentioned one earlier in the service. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of every month. But every year, about six weeks ahead of Easter, we start intentionally preparing because Easter is the most significant day in the life of the church. It is the most significant day for followers of Jesus. I know our culture says it's Christmas, but for us, it's Easter because Easter is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so if we spend a month preparing for Christmas, we should spend longer preparing for Easter. And so this is the beginning of a season of us getting our hearts ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because the apostle Paul said, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead and our hopes in vain. Everything rises and falls on Easter Sunday, and we want to get ready for that. But to start that journey, we need to get into the Scriptures. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to get it out or turn it on, because today what I want to do is recap for you, if you've been around church for a while, a story about how the people of Israel ended up in Egypt. And if you're new to church or you're new to Cornerstone or you're new to the Bible, I wanna bring you along so you don't miss anything. So if you have that Bible out, I wanna encourage you to turn to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. So if you're new, this is about as easy as it gets. Go to the very beginning of your Bible and we're in Genesis chapter 46 for our first text today. If you're taking notes or you have the handout, you know that there it says that we're gonna learn five things today that we need to know about Egypt. We're gonna set the stage today for where we're gonna go over the next six weeks. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing you need to know about Egypt. God promises to use and redeem Egypt for his people. God promises that if you're in Egypt, if you've settled for Egypt, when you were made for freedom, like the big idea says, God promises to use and redeem Egypt in your life. So beginning in verse one of Genesis 46, this is what we read. It says, Israel set out with all he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. That night, God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. Now, just so you know, we haven't changed characters. The man who was born, Jacob, God gave him a new name, Israel, but here he's referring to him as Jacob. And God said there in verse three, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you back. Joseph, who's one of Jacob's sons will close your eyes when you die. Now, the reason why I want you to know that, that God is gonna use and redeem Egypt is because that's what's gonna happen in the lives of these people. And, and the person who's saying this God to Jacob, he might've been worried to leave behind the land that he knew and, and go into Egypt where his future was uncertain, but God was promising him that he was gonna lead him there and lead him out. Now, I wasn't prepared when I was working on this message to to give it to you and your family in your living room. And so I want to acknowledge that your your kids may be there. And so I want to make sure they know and you know what the word redeem means. Here's the dictionary definition of the word redeem. The word redeem can mean a couple things. It can mean to get or win back. It can mean to free from what harms. It can also mean to overcome something damaging. And so when God speaks to, to Jacob here in Genesis 46, he's telling him, hey, I'm gonna use and redeem what happens in Egypt and I'm gonna bring you and your people back. Because if, if you know the rest of the story, you know, the people are gonna end up in slavery in Egypt. So if God's gonna redeem them, he has to free them from that. If he's in redeeming, he has to overcome that. He has to get them back. And so from the beginning, before any of these people end up in Egypt... God is promising Jacob, hey, I'm gonna get you back. I'm gonna go down with you and I'm gonna bring you back. Now, this is really important because for some of you, you may be struggling in this season. You you may be thinking, hey, how is God going to use this place that I've ended up in? How's God gonna work through this place that I've settled for, that I feel stuck in? Well, I want to remind you of a truth we see all throughout the pages of the Bible. And it's this truth. We serve a God who wastes nothing. Because isn't that your fear when you're in an Egypt season, when you're going through something extremely hard, painful, difficult, even suffering? You say to yourself, what I say to myself, man, this is such a waste. What a waste. Why? And what we see in the scriptures from Genesis to the end in the lives of people like Jacob and Joseph and Jeremiah and Jesus and Paul is that we serve a God who wastes nothing, who uses and redeems everything that happens to us. That's the hope we can have. I want you to hold on to that as we go throughout this series. If you have your Bible open, keep going and head to the very next chapter, Genesis 47. Here's what we're going to discover. Verse 1 says, So Joseph, that's the son of Jacob, went and informed Pharaoh, who was his boss, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in the land of Goshen. Joseph took five of his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants, both we and our fathers are shepherds. And they said to Pharaoh, we've come to stay in the land for a while because there's no grazing land for your servant sheep since the famine in the land of Canaan has been severe. So now please let your servants settle in the land of Goshen. Well, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, now that your father and brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. So settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. They can live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now at this point, things are looking really good for Joseph, his father, Jacob and his brothers they're shepherds and there was nowhere to to take care of sheep in Canaan and now they're in Egypt and they're saying hey we need a place to to have our sheep and tend to them the ideal spot would be Goshen so the pharaoh says absolutely why don't you go to Goshen why don't you take care of that land and why don't you let your your sheep graze there and take care of those sheep and by the way if any of you are really good at this i could use you as my employees to take care of my sheep. I mean, all of this looks amazing on the surface. It looks like an awesome opportunity, but I want to remind you of something. And those of you who know how this story ends, you know the truth of this. The way Egypt looked was temporary. Like in the moment, it all looks great, but this is not the way it would stay. And that's the second thing you need to know about Egypt is that Egypt often begins looking like an opportunity and ends up feeling like oppression. In the beginning, Egypt was awesome. This is a beautiful opportunity. We're gonna go to Goshen. We're gonna be over Pharaoh's stuff. But by the end of this message, you're gonna see that opportunity ends up looking like and feeling like And if you're one of those people who's experienced the big idea that you settled for Egypt instead of experiencing freedom, you know this feeling yourself. Because Egypt is that place where we end up saying, I feel trapped. If you're in an Egypt season in your life, you may have used this very phrase, I feel trapped to somebody. Because you didn't know it was a trap when you got into it. Maybe it was a beautiful opportunity. Maybe it was a dream job or you thought this person was amazing that you were getting in a relationship with. But now, what started as an opportunity, it feels like oppression. Because that's what Egypt is. It doesn't stay looking like and feeling like it does in the beginning. Those feelings are temporary. If you have your Bible still, I wanna go to the third passage we're gonna look at today. It's in the book of Genesis chapter 50. And the verses are gonna be on the screen here. There it says, beginning in verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and will bring you from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel, his brothers, take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. The third thing you need to know about Egypt is that we have hope if we're in Egypt, because we've seen God's power to redeem. If you're Resonating with that language. I I feel trapped. This started out as an opportunity, but now I feel oppressed. You can have hope because you, in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've seen God's power to redeem already. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've already seen God redeem your past, bring you to new life. Give you his grace, show you forgiveness, make you a new creation. And that's the exact same thing as Joseph has experienced. That's why he's saying these words. Joseph's story is one of the most amazing stories of God's redeeming power in all of the Bible. Joseph embodied God's power to redeem. If you've never read the story before, When you're home today with your family, look through Genesis 37 through 50. It's this amazing story of how God wastes nothing and he can use and redeem anything for his purposes and his glory. And so that's why Joseph's saying, Hey, I'm about to die here in Egypt, but just so you know, I've seen God work and God will work. And when you leave this place, take my bones with you. Historians believe that when the people of Israel eventually left Egypt, they took Joseph's bones in the Ark of the Covenant with him. So I just want to encourage you today that, that we can have hope in Egypt because we've seen God's power to redeem. You may be in an Egypt season, but I want to encourage you to use your memory. Recall the times and the places and the circumstances you've been where you've seen God work. And remember that that same God who worked in those times and redeemed you in those times and didn't waste those times, he's going to work, he's going to redeem, he's going to move. And that's why you can have hope now. If You can tell the story is about to take a turn. Joseph's already kind of given a hint about this. But if you have your Bible still, go from Genesis to the book of Exodus Exodus chapter one. The, the bulk of this story of the people of Israel leaving Egypt, it happens in Exodus. And so we're gonna read a chunk here from Exodus chapter one. So stick with me. Beginning in verse six, this is what the text says. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous So that the land was filled with them. Here's the bad news. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. And he said to his people, look, the Israelites are more numerous and powerful than we are. So come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise they will multiply further. And when the war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So, The Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them. That's the word oppression. It's now here. With forced labor, they built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. And they ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. The fourth thing that you need to know about Egypt is that there is an enemy who is threatened by the fruitfulness of God's. See, when the people began to flourish in Exodus 1, the Pharaoh who was their enemy said, we can't have these people outnumbering us and growing and multiplying and have power and favor. We've got we've to lock them down and beat them down and suppress them and oppress them and control them. And though we don't sit under a Pharaoh today, we have our own enemy. Scripture uses a lot of names for him. Satan, the devil, Lucifer. And he is a real being who is opposed to the people of God and their flourishing and fruitfulness as God's people. And as we begin to move towards all that God has for us, that enemy comes and opposes that work and seeks to limit us from experiencing all that God has for us. One of the best verses that gives us a picture of this is John 10, 10. Here, Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. He says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's the fruitfulness that God wants for us. But there is an enemy, there is a thief and his agenda for you is not fruitfulness. His agenda for you is steal, kill, destroy. Egypt, settling, keeping you from all that God has for you. And this may be why you ended up in Egypt. You were going along well. You were moving along well. You were being fruitful. God was at work in your life and then something happened that surprised you. It probably shouldn't have surprised you though. It was that you have an enemy and he came to steal what God was doing. He came to kill what God was doing. He came to destroy what God was doing. And he does not want you to experience all that God has, that abundance that Jesus speaks of. And that's why Egypt is so important because we end up settling for less than God has for us. There's an interesting thing that happens here in the text that we can't see in English. Uh, Author Estelle Frankel points this out. The the Hebrew word and the book of Genesis and Exodus were written in Hebrew. The word for Egypt in Hebrew is this word right here. It's the word mitzrayim. In in, In Hebrew, it's the word Egypt. Mitzrayim. Maybe if you're at home with your family, you can say it out loud. Mitzrayim. There's another word, though, that's very similar to Mitzrayim, which I think helps us understand what Egypt is. And it's this Hebrew word, Mitzrayim. And in Hebrew, it means a narrow place or a place that is ultimately constricting. Here's the thing about Egypt. You know, it begins as an opportunity, becomes oppression. We see the difference between Mitzrayim and Areem when Egypt goes from a place of opportunity to a place that begins, well, what's what Red said, the walls begin to close in. It becomes a narrow place. It begins to constrict. One of the things about Egypt that we see for the Israelites, and I think we see for ourselves, is a phrase that's not original to me, but I think is totally accurate. What began as a womb became a tomb. What began as a place to bring life and give life becomes a place that takes it away. And if you're in an Egypt season, here's what you need to know. It may have began as a place that you saw life-giving things coming from. You saw hope and a future, but that was temporary. And now it's not giving you life, it's stealing your life. It's taking your life away. the final passage I want to read you and the final principle I want to give you about Egypt comes in Exodus 3. So if your Bible's open, this is the last place we're going to go. Exodus 3, 7. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said, I have observed, and he's speaking to Moses. This is the burning at the bush moment, if you're familiar with that story. I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because of the, the Israelites cry for help, that's come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are treating them, therefore, he's saying to Moses, Go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Here's the last thing you need to know about Egypt today. God hears the prayers of those who long for freedom. If today you're beginning to realize that you are in Egypt and you are crying out to God God, I need you to set me free. He hears you. And this is a prayer that is being prayed all over our world because I doubt that any of you today are literally in bondage. If you are, get us a word and we will bring some people to literally set you free. But this is the work that our friends and partners at Agape International Mission are doing in Southeast Asia, they are literally going after people who are human slaves and setting them free because they want them to know that God has heard those prayers. And it's why through your giving, we support our partners at AIM every single month because there are people today who are literally in bondage and we want them to know God has heard your prayer. But for us Egypt and bondage is not a literal thing. We don't have shackles on our hand. For the Hebrews, Egypt was a literal place, but for us, Egypt has to be more of a metaphor. And again, there's kids in the room, so I want to make sure they understand what the word metaphor means. The word metaphor means a figurative comparison between two things which are unrelated. Example, little brother, stop being a pest. You're not saying that your little brother is actually an insect. You're using that word metaphorically. And so, in this series, when we say Egypt, we're going to use it as a metaphor. And so, here's what I want you to do today. If you're taking notes at the bottom of your handout, it says big question. Here's the question I want you to answer beginning today What is my Egypt? What is my Egypt? If you're taking notes, write that question down, those four words. What is my Egypt? Where's that place where you're in bondage? Where's that place where you've settled for less than freedom? I wanna give you some ideas and help you brainstorm this morning. Your Egypt might be some addiction, something that you started doing and now you can't stop doing. Something that you told yourself you were just gonna try once but now you can't imagine a day going by without you doing it. It started out as an opportunity, but now it oppresses you. Maybe it's something you drink or maybe something you put in your body. Maybe it's sex that you have with somebody or somebody that you, something that you watch on your computer. But you can't imagine a day going by without doing it. And frankly, sometimes you can't stop yourself from doing it. Maybe your Egypt is an addiction. Maybe your Egypt has to do with your identity and your feelings of security. Maybe for you, it's your job, that that you don't know who you are without that job. And at that job or somewhere else, you have to achieve to feel secure and safe. Maybe for you, it's the approval of other people that, that you have to get that sense of feedback from other people that they like you for you to feel okay. Or maybe it's money. You feel really good and secure and and strong in yourself when you have some and then when your account drops or, or your, your performance drops or your 401k drops, you completely lose every sense of security. Maybe it's food. Maybe when you feel overwhelmed, you turn to food and, and you eat more than you should or you eat things that you know aren't good for you or you can't stop eating. You don't know how you got there, but... You're there now. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe it's the surgeries you continue to pursue. The new clothes you continue to buy. The workouts that you don't do to stay healthy, you do because you're obsessively, compulsively doing them for hours and hours and hours. Maybe it's the relationships you're in. That person's like a great person, but now there's holes in the wall. You're afraid of their anger. Maybe you find yourself manipulated by them. Maybe you just find yourself grieving and crying and mourning. How on earth did we get here? Here's what I found out about Egypt in my own life. Egypt causes you to forget who you are and what you were made to do. When you end up in Egypt, you forget who you are and you lose sight of what you were made to do. Egypt has a way of causing us to forget the things that are most important. I know I've had more time to think about this than you have, so I want to share with you a little bit of what Egypt has been for me. A couple of years ago, we went on a vacation. Went up to Montana, which is, I mean, it's all God's country, but that's a special part of God's country. And during that trip, I started paddleboarding for the first time, and it became one of my favorite things. This is a picture of me. Paddleboarding on Lake McDonald in Glacier National Park. It's a beautiful place. But one day as I was out on the paddle, it became clear to me that there were some things that, that I had begun to accept, kind of like Red did. I'd gotten used to them. I kind of started to depend on them. But as I started thinking about them, I'm like, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not who God made me to be. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And I realized that without realizing it, I'd ended up in Egypt. I'd ended up settling for less than God had intended. Primarily, this was happening in some relationships in my life. And I realized I was going to have to start getting honest first and foremost with myself and call it what it is. I was going to have to also get honest with God and say, hey, God, this is where I am. And I certainly got myself into this, but I can't get myself out. I'm going to need your help. And then I was going to have to start using my voice and to get honest with other people. And sometimes the hardest part of Egypt is having difficult conversations, especially when our Egypt involves somebody else. But I started having some of those conversations on that trip and when I returned. And the road out of Egypt was not nearly as easy as the road getting into it. But what changed that day was I admitted, hey, this is my Egypt and I can't stay here. And I want to tell you that there's a parallel between what happens to the people of Israel and what happens with us, and it concerns Jesus. In Matthew 2, we see the birth of Jesus and what happens next. There it says... After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is a different Joseph than the Exodus Joseph. Saying, Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother during the night and they escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Here's what this is about for you. This year on the road to Egypt, God wants to lead you to freedom. This year, over the next six weeks, between now, February 26th, and Easter, April 9th, God wants to lead you to freedom because this is the truth. We were made to live in freedom. But you and I, too many times, we've settled for Egypt instead. If you've been around Cornerstone for any period of time, you know that all of our messages, at least the ones that I give, end with next steps. Well, today, there's not a list of them. There's just one. There's one next step. This is your only option. This week, what I want you to do is I want you to explore what Egypt is in your life. I want you to think think about the question, what is your Egypt? And I want you to work hard on answering that question to the best of your ability. You don't have to know right now. You don't have to know tomorrow. Even next Sunday, if you're not totally clear, I just want you to explore this week what your Egypt could be. And I wanna give you some, some caveats or some, some kind of warnings because I, I think some of you may have already gone here mentally. Leaving Egypt cannot lead us into sin. So if you've been sitting here today thinking, hey, I think I know what my Egypt is and therefore this is what I need to do. If that thing that you would do to leave Egypt is sin, then that thing is not Egypt. Some of you, I think you're thinking, hey, Scott, my marriage is Egypt. So therefore, I I should probably leave my marriage. Now, the Bible is really clear. If you're being abused, there should be some separation. You should not continue in that. But I think all too often in our culture over the last 50 years with no-fault divorce, far more often than not, we have seen people abandon marriages unbiblically. So I'd encourage you, leaving Egypt can't lead you into sin. Now, Often at this point, things are far more complicated than I can speak to from here to a camera. And so I want to acknowledge, maybe you're going to need to reach out to your small group leader, pastor on staff and, and walk through some questions. But I just would encourage you, even in the places where the Bible does allow for divorce, it doesn't say you have to divorce. And so leaving Egypt, if that is causing you to sin, friends, we should pause and say, hey, is this really Egypt? Second thing, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's Egypt. God does call us to hard things. God does allow suffering in our lives. And so just because something is hard doesn't mean it's Egypt. It could be, it could be. Egypt is often hard, but just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's Egypt. Also, leaving Egypt can mean leaving a place or leaving a relationship, leaving a pattern. But it can also mean beginning to heal without changing our location or leaving the relationship. Sometimes it means, hey, I'm gonna allow God to change me so the relationship can change. Now, I know that you may say, hey, Scott, there's a a lot of can of worms you've opened there. I know, and here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this week. I'm gonna ask you to explore this, literally. Get up, go for a walk, go for a hike. Get in your car, go for a drive. Get out that journal you used to write in and start processing this. Say, hey, what is Egypt in my life? Maybe it'll help reaching out to a friend. So call a trusted friend, somebody that you know can keep things confidentially and say, hey, this is what I heard. Send them this message. They're part of Cornerstone. Say, hey, let's grab coffee we can talk about this. I need to to ask you some questions. Sit down and go, hey, this is what I'm thinking my agent might be. What do you think? What do you see? Here's the reason why we're going to explore this over the next six weeks. In Galatians 5, Paul said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. What God came to do is to lead us out of slavery to sin and into freedom. And too many times we are followers of Jesus. We've experienced him setting us free and we, of our own choice, of our own will, step right back into it. And that's not what we were made for. We were made So I wanna encourage you next week, we're gonna continue on in this series. We'll be back together at Yavapai College and we'll be leaning into what is our Egypt and why is it that we can't stay in Egypt? So if I've raised some questions for you that you're like, hey, I need to figure out some answers to these, come back next week. We're gonna explore this for six weeks. And if things are unclear today, I pray they'll become clearer in the weeks to come. And more than anything else, I'm praying for you that you would find freedom between now and Easter. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you gave your son that we might be free. I pray for my friends who are watching this from home today or somewhere else. And I pray that you would work in their hearts and give them clarity to show them where they have settled for less than you intended. Where you made them for for freedom but they chose Egypt instead. I pray that you would unsettle them, make them uncomfortable, and show them that this is not a place you want them to be. You made them for more. I pray that you would work to bring clarity on what their Egypt is, and I pray that you would give them a vision for what it is you created them for, and give them hope and remind them that you work to redeem, you work to restore, you work to bring freedom. We pray for what you're going to do in the weeks to come. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.